It's ten times the terror. Hello there. Hi, my name is Ralph, and welcome to Ten Times the Terror. And I'm Paul. And today we're going to talk about one of the classic horror films from Universal, where the monster meets his bride. It doesn't have a happy ending, folks. It's called Bride of Frankenstein. So, Paul, why don't you start off by giving us a little background here? Yeah, this, uh, this Bride of Frankenstein is actually one of the most creative uh, films in, in actually Hollywood history. Uh, to call it a horror film is difficult because it operates on so many different kinds of levels. I mean, you can call it a monster movie if you want because it's got, um, I mean, you have the Frankenstein monster, but who's, who's a very tragic figure uh, in this yeah. film as he was in the original version. Uh, I want to mention a, a, a new book, relatively new book, it's, uh, last, last uh, Copyright uh, 2017 by James uh, L. Niebauer, who is a tremendous film scholar. James L. Niebauer. Uh, let's called, get him on the show, Paul. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's called The Monster Movies of Universal Studios. Now, he makes it very clear in the book he's not talking about the horror films, which is a much broader category. He's only talking about the monster movies, which are, you know, plenty. And he starts off, of course, with Frankenstein, Dracula, and ends up with Abbott Costello, uh, meeting all the different monsters. Uh, but it's uh, an intriguing, uh, very intriguing book. All right, so um, a little bit about the background of Bride of Frankenstein. This is a film that has some very strong Christian imagery, uh, which, it, which I find challenging. <laughs> how that works. But to start back, where did this movie come from? You know, why is it so important? Universal makes the first, and we talked about this in an earlier time when we had Tom Weaver here. Universal makes the first supernatural horror film in, in American history, which is Dracula. There had been horror films in the silent era, but not the supernatural. There had been made Mad Killers, Phantom of the Opera, things like that. Uh, in Germany in the 1920s, there were real horror films in every sense of the word, and they definitely had the supernatural. Uh, many of these uh, German artists included directors and um, cinematographers uh, like Karl Freund, who uh, actually developed the whole idea of a mobile camera. Uh, because of the economic collapse following the Great Depression, uh, many of them came to America and ended up in Hollywood. Carl Lemley was the head of Universal Studios, which had done uh, these tremendous pictures like Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, both with Lon Chaney. Uh, Man Who Laughs with Conrad Veidt, who had appeared in a very famous German horror film, The Cabinet of Caligari. Carl Emily Jr., uh, the son, decided he wanted to make the, what would have been the first American supernatural horror film. The American horror films of the 1920s, even the teens, hadn't really dealt with the supernatural. They were dealt with crazed killers or a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. Uh, Dracula was the first supernatural American horror film. And it's very dated now, but it was a, a groundbreaker. It was one of the most influential movies in history. It was enormously successful and led then to the obvious choice. What do you follow up Dracula with? Well, the other very famous novel that comes out of the same setting is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, who ended up marrying great poet Percy Shelley. The novel Frankenstein is a complex, multi-character 
uh, book very hard to adapt. And, and so the original Frankenstein movie was based on a play that grew on just aspects of, uh, of the actual novel. The movie starred Boris Carl, and, you know, wasn't even given credit in the actual film, but in the opening of it, but it starred Boris Karloff as the monster to get set in motion uh, another whole dimension of, of horror and monsters and so forth. And uh, the, um, the moral lesson that's in, even in the novel, is that this is about human beings trying to be like God. Uh, the subtitle of Frankenstein novel is The Modern Prometheus. Remember, Prometheus rebelled against the gods, stole fire from heaven and brought it down so that men could become creative and could make uh, tools and uh, cook food, but also could make weapons, the thing that the gods feared. Uh, Paul, let me, ask, let me interject for a moment. Yeah. My understanding uh, as, as a student of theology is that we are like God. Uh, the, the problem is, it seems to me, when we think we are God, not like God, because we are like God having been created in his image. So we can do a lot of things that, that we're free to do as long as we're morally responsible. Uh, can you clarify that? Yeah, I think it is. It comes from a crit critical line in the original Frankenstein, which was edited out as the, um, the production code got very strict around 1934 because they felt movies were getting too loose. You know, uh, they would not be considered so by our standards, but... They certainly were by standards of the period. And uh, there's this critical line that never should have been taken out, but it was, where, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, you know, is, is going on about, it's alive, it's alive, you know, that the creature is coming to life. He's almost like becoming berserk. People trying to hold him down. And his professor says to him, in the name of God, Henry. And uh, he answers, yes, in the name of God. Now I know what it's like to be God. Right. So he crosses I, the line. Crosses yeah. The line. And I think, see, think about this. The novel Frankenstein is, to my knowledge, the only uh, story to have been filmed in every decade of the 20th century. From Thomas Edison in 1910 up to, uh, you know, I think Roger Corman in the uh, late 1990s. And we didn't ask that question. And over the course of time, I'd like to have us look at all of the universal Frankensteins, uh, varying quality. But to get back to this, so in Frankenstein uh, and in the novel, uh, it, it's this hubris. Uh, it is that, that Frankenstein himself is trying to be like God, trying to be God, and brings about this all this destruction. <clears throat> and it finally brings out his own destruction. And in the original version of, of the film, in 1931, uh, Frankenstein and the monster are up in a, in a, in a windmill, yeah. and uh, the villagers, you know, their familiar torches and pitchforks set the, the mill on fire. And uh, essentially both the mo monster and, and Frankenstein himself gets thrown by the monster uh, out of the windmill and falls to his death. And so there, and the last shot, is a you know, long shot is of the smoldering ruins of the burned over windmill. Well, uh, when they initially showed that to audiences, it was too much. People were, uh, you know, really, as again, when we look yeah. at the film today, it, it's not going to scare us the same way it did audiences in 1931, for whom even talking movies were a novelty. And there's a famous story yeah. of um, a guy calling up James Whale, who was the director, and saying, are you the, are you the guy who directed that movie Frankenstein? And Whale kind of 
bleary-eyed and said, uh, yes. The guy responded by saying, well, listen, I saw that movie and I can't sleep and I'll be darned if I'm going to let you sleep. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, you know, having seen the movie just this morning again, I, I think there's no doubt that everyone who watches that film is uh, totally on the side of Frank, uh, of the monster. I mean, uh, you know, he is the most pathetic uh, person. I mean, if anyone is a monster, it's all the characters that are there with the guns and the pitchforks and the fire. I mean, you know, uh, all this guy wants to do is make a friend. Yeah. Find a wife. Yeah. He wants to yeah. get a life. All he yeah. wants to do is get a life. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, you, it's, you put me here, now what are you going to do with me? Yeah. So let me give the background. The final kind of notes here is, okay, so um, I think it was under pressure from the studio that they, they included a happy ending, which mars the film, the original Frank the film, tremendously. I mean, you know, in terms of theme and uh, philosophy and the nature of the story, Frankenstein needs to die because he was trying to be like, trying to be God. And the, the, the monster is a, is a tragic figure uh, who brings about the death of his creator and then he has to die. So thematically, it, this death is critically there. The film has an opening uh, prologue from the character who plays Dr. Waldman, the uh, teacher of Frankenstein, Edward von Sloan, uh, to kind of warn everybody, you know, this is going to be scary stuff. People freaked out in, 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 in seeing both Dracula and Frankenstein in 1931. Again, you know, even the idea of having sound was a tremendously impactful thing. The studio, you know, realized that they had a gold mine with these monsters and they wanted to do a sequel. And so a few years go by and the plans are made to do Brighter Frankenstein, which is a critical theme in the novel. The monster wants a mate. The monster doesn't want to be like Ralph the Saint. The monster is is a tragic figure. Uh, it's not. It doesn't ask to be made, and he needs to have a friend. Needs to have mm. a wife, and that's a key theme in the novel. So that was something to build things around. However, in in doing this, uh, James Wales decides forget it. I'm not going back to the tacked on phony ending. I'm going back to the ending that was the original one in the in the film with the smoldering ruins of the windmill. So that's what he does. And prior to that added on to this to make this a, a very complex film is you have a depiction of a real life event in the uh, summer of 1816 uh, in Switzerland, where Mary Shelley and uh, her soon to be husband, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, the great poet, and uh, Byron's friend and, and doctor, John Palladori, uh, and a few others are there. And uh, it, it, it is... Uh, uh, terrible weather, pouring rain. Uh, so their their hopes of going to a beach and going out sailing and all that uh, goes by the wayside. And supposedly, and yeah, we're, talk, we're talking about history. Supposedly, Lord Byron came up with the idea: let's all write a ghost story and see if you can come up with the best yeah. one. Well, Polidori writes the vampire, which is, finally will be the influence later on, decades later, in Dracula. And Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein. That's in the movie. Now, you know, uh, the movie is, period, is, is very ambiguous, but this is clearly 1816 in the opening of the movie. So um, it turns out that uh, Mary Shelley then says to both her husband and Lord Byron, uh, no, it didn't end with the smoldering ruins of the uh, windmill. As this unfolds, 
it turns out that the monster had fallen through the floor of the windmill into the water beneath and had been burned but not killed and goes on a rampage. Same thing with Frankenstein. He gets brought back assuming he's dead, but no, he's not. He's, uh, and so he's nursed back to health. The plot, such as it is, and I think Ralph touched on it, is this idea the monster is this, he's an, an abused child. He learns how to speak. Now, in the novel, he becomes very eloquent. He learns to read Paradise Lost and all of this. But in this film, he has kind of like the vocabulary of a 10-year-old. And, he, has uh, good, he has good taste in cigars, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, and one of the most famous scenes, and one that was, uh, uh, you know, copied, uh, the, you know, young Frankenstein. Right. Uh, you know, used all of these in an affection kind of send-off. That's hysterical, but not to get into that at the moment. We'll do that when we have Shuler Hensley here in a few uh, weeks who uh, played that on Broadway. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, so you, you have the, uh, the monsters rejected and, uh, you know, despised. And, and, you know, again, he's looking for any kind of uh, human response. Um, there's this uh, evil figure, Dr. Pretorius who has his own agenda, and uh, he, he wants to coax Frankenstein into making a bride for the monster. Mm-hmm. And Frankenstein doesn't want to do it, but in order to, to force him, uh, Pretorius arranges for the monster to kidnap, to kidnap Frankenstein's wife, Elizabeth, uh, tie her up. He's uh, really evil. I mean, he's much more yeah. evil than Frankenstein. He's the, he's, he's the villain. Yeah. He, he is totally the villain, yeah. But meanwhile, the, you know, the, the monster is, this, as you say, this pathetic, longing figure who wanders into the home of this, they call him a hermit, but he, he looks like he's a monk. He and, does look uh, like a monk, yeah. Yeah, obviously a Christian. And, you know, he's playing Ave Maria on his violin. Right. And uh, he's blind. But they can't see that the what the monster looks like, but he welcomes the monster in. And there's this very touching scene where he's, he's praying and thanking God right. for having sent him a friend. And uh, uh, the monster's got tears coming down his eyes. He's so oh, yeah. touched. Yeah. And in the close out of that scene, it closes out on an image of, the, of a crucifix right. on the wall. So you've got very Christian imagery here. And uh, the blind man is this very kind of a Christ-like figure. But the problem is when two hunters wander right. into, the, uh, um, right. into the, the hermit's little home, they recognize the monster and they, they create all the kind of chaos. And they're shooting at the monster and set the poor place on fire. And uh, they're able to bring the poor uh, monk out safely. But you're left with this fact of very spiritual reality that then gets crossed up. I look at that and I say, you know, God's grace is freely given to us, but we can reject it. You know, one of the tenets of Orthodox Calvinism is the idea of irresistible grace. And I, I have a problem with that. I think, you know, people, people can and do resist grace. Uh, and I think that's, that's what I get out of that sequence. Uh, I, it, it's some complex imagery there. There's even kind of a quasi image of the, the monster being crucified. You know, he gets put up on a pole uh, earlier on and, and uh, captured and taken well, and escapes. But it's, um, you've got that very clear Christian imagery, and that's how I interpret it, because yeah, it doesn't okay. come out well. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you see that also in many situations, even in churches, where you could have a wonderful fellowship church. A few people come in that try to cause trouble, and suddenly the whole church is in chaos. Yeah, I mean, this is part of life. Uh, what I saw is another imagery, Paul, 
is later on when he's being pursued by people you know, that want to kill him, there's that crucifix with Christ on the cross, and he goes right next to it, goes downstairs and hides. And it was almost like an imagery of hiding myself you know, in the cross. Uh, because yeah. right above him is the cross with Jesus fully yeah, splayed yeah. out, and there he opens a door and hides and is a- able to get to safety. I mean, I think that's a powerful imagery to me. It is. But then the irony is, he can, who does he confront when he gets down? In, in yeah, the well, grip? you know. It's, it's the evil Dr. Pretorius, you know. The, you think of the um, those who come in to pervert the gospel that Paul talks about in Galatians and Second Corinthians and so forth. Uh, if anyone comes and proclaims to you a different Jesus yeah. or a different yeah. gospel, um, let him be accursed. I mean, that's strong enough terms. So I think that's, and yeah. then what you're left with is, um, you know, Frankenstein is still going to try to yeah. create a create a, a mate, you know. And Elsa Lanchester, who plays Mary, is also cast as the bride, which is all all kinds of ramifications. Let's play play that. Let's play that famous iconic scene here, Paul. Here he is holding her hand. She looks at him. She hates me. Yeah, she hates yeah, me. Yeah, it uh, sounds it's, like my first date in high school. Yeah, tragic. <laughs> but you know, Paul, in science, Paul, in science fiction, you have uh, this theme picked up where people create life, and in the beginning they think it's without a soul, and suddenly they find that this life form is more than just what they had imagined or created. Uh, there's a Star Trek episode called uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of, where they create this uh, android, and uh, ultimately she falls in love with Captain Kirk, and she becomes a, a person with a soul. I just think this is a theme probably started off with the idea of Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah in the book, Frankenstein uh, is just about to bring the uh, the bride to life. He's, he doesn't. Dr. Pretorius is not in the book. And... Uh, he gets confronted with the idea of what happens if, you know, the, the monster and, and, and his mate have children and create a race of monsters that will finally overtake the world. He has this vision. And so he destroys the body well, before it can be brought back to life. And then, and then when the monster sees that, he comes in and says, I will be with you on your wedding night. Yeah. And uh, in fact, then the monster then break into the, their home on the wedding night and, and kills his bride. Well, kills Frankenstein's uh, bride. Think of uh, this one, 1958, classic sci-fi film, I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Now, here you have these aliens who take over the body of uh, Earthlings, but they soon find something out that they had not expected. They're beginning to have the emotions, the love, or if you would, the soul of a human being that gets them into all kinds of issues. Yeah. So this, the, the Frankenstein motif really sets the the agenda for much of what science fiction is going to follow through with in, in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Frankenstein story can be looked at both as a horror story and as a science fiction one. you got to think in terms of, two the tremendous advances of science and technology in the 20th century, but then the tremendous cost that provides, you know, with two world wars and the creation of the atomic weapons and all of that. Is that one reason why the Frankenstein story has been filmed in every decade of the 20th century? When you think of the vast differences over those decades, you know, that this one story uh, is one that people keep, keep going back to. 
And that these older films, which now are like 75, 80 years old, uh, are still showing up in remastered DVD sets. And some of the books, like I just mentioned, uh, there's still a continuing fascination. And in the original form of the film, Frankenstein, you know, it ends with the, uh, and I don't know how this happens, but there is somehow there's this convention that if you're going to build an old castle or a mad, mad scientist laboratory, you have a lever put in that if you just pull the lever, yeah, everything blows right. up. I, just, I can't quite figure it's out. It's like what they did with the krill. Remember, remember the guy that, said, know? pull the lever in Forbidden Planet. The whole planet was destroyed. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. You know, <laughs> what? How does. <laughs> hey, don't lean do, on that. that don't lever, lean you know? on that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But in the original version of that, the, the monster has this great line, we belong dead, you know, and. And uh, his ultimate frustration that uh, that the you know the the bride is not what he expected. But if you if you look at the film carefully, Frankenstein is there being blown up with everybody else. Yeah, and it's the same, same kind thing. of thing. Then where they they tack on a happy ending, and uh, you know they continually do this throughout the series, and it takes away I think some of the the moral instruction. You know, Frankenstein is a is a figure who is doomed. You know, you don't want Dr. Jekyll to get cured. You know, yeah. you want him to face the consequences of Mr. Hyde. Yeah. The other thing from seeing the film again, I think you might want to say something about it. The sets that they made at Universal. I mean, you know, a lot of it is just set, a Hollywood set. And, and it gives the film an almost fairy tale kind of mm-hmm. uh, presentation. I yeah. mean, when you see people against the sky, of course, it's a fake sky and you see shadows of people. But the whole film is kind of uh, almost dreamlike, actually. Yeah. It's almost like Wizard of Oz turned upside down. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it clearly begins in the very historically documented year of 1816. Yeah. And yet when the story starts unfolding, it's, you know, I mean, some of Elizabeth's clothes look 1930s. But, you know, oh, yeah. uh, there, there's no cars, there's no telephones, you know, it's it's sort of set, as you say, in some kind of like a fairy tale. Yeah, and the interesting thing, too, about that the set, they, uh, Universal's uh, under Carl Lemley, uh, well, Jr., too, had adapted All Quiet on the Western Front, the famous uh, World War One novel. And for that, they built a whole like German village set. Well, they built that set and they used that forever on these horror films. Uh, I think finally the set unfortunately burned down sometime later in the 70s or 80s. I'm not quite sure. But nonetheless, it, it does create that kind of like fairy tale setting, you know, like you yeah. see Hansel and Gretel coming out or something. Yeah, maybe if, uh, maybe if they had worked it out that Frankenstein you know, the monster and the bride had a little time to just get engaged, to get to know one another. Yeah, right. They might yeah. have been able to work this out. But, you know, with these marriages that you just put together in one moment, I don't think they're going to work out usually. No, <laughs> no, this, this, this one's not going to not be working out well at, at, at all. At all. Yeah. At all, you know. Yeah. And she has that crazy beehive hairdo that I used to see Which in unforgettable girls. You know, and that and, uh, white streak, you know, shows up in yeah. in uh, among movie monsters and mad scientists for you know for years. Right. No, so it's a it's a phenomenal, and, and you know, you've got these touches in it though. Like Doctor Pretorius has these um, 
little people that he's created in oh, glass yeah. jars. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and, and Frank has at one point says, this is in science, this is black magic. It, it, it's a, it's a, a, a very complex film. It uh, is. And, and uh, James Whale, I think, was a very complex figure. And he initially did not want to make the film, but did so when they agreed to let him do whatever he wanted. You know, so he could indulge himself. He was a homosexual at a time when that had to be kept very uh, clearly under wraps. That may account for something of the sense of the loneliness of the monster. You know, I mean, you can read right. all kinds of things into this. Brighter Frankenstein of all the Universal Frankenstein's comes the closest to capturing yeah. the sense of the book in a general general way. There's already three DVD sets of just of the Universal horror films. All uh, Blu-ray release, all, you know, all restored, uh, pristine black and white, in addition to DVD sets of both Frankenstein and Dracula. Let's hope at your own wedding, when the minister says, does anyone have any grounds to say anything, speak now or forever hold your peace? Let's hope nobody says, she hates me. Yeah, right. That would be good ground. I'd be a, a real downer. So we're going to close on those words and... Uh, we're going to see you next time on 10 Times the Terror. My name is Ralph. And I'm Paul. So we'll catch you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to It's 10 Times the Terror. The podcast. You are impossible. Ralph, you're well intentioned, but still you're wrong. Thank you for listening to 10 Times the Terror. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you. You can find out more about our podcast by visiting our website, 10 Times the Terror dot com that's 10x the terror dot com